Welcome back to Crossing the Jordan, everybody. Today on this Saturday, we're actually going to take a pause on talking about the sacraments. We're going to continue that next Saturday. We're going to be talking about confirmation, uh, anointing of the sick, confession, and marriage. Really excited about those uh, series coming up in the next few weeks. But this Saturday, I really wanted to share a part of a talk that I recently heard. Um, and it's uh, I, the portion that I shared is just over 20 minutes long. The whole talk is over an hour long. Um, and I'll share the link to the to the episode of that podcast, but really wanted to share it because it's just it's a beautiful uh, talk about the family of God and what God's will and Jesus's will for us when He came and instituted the new covenant. But this is uh, from Scott Hahn, and Scott Hahn was a huge part in my conversion uh, before I came Catholic. I started reading. I heard of Scott Hahn. I started reading his books, and the first one that I read was Rome, Sweet Home. And that is about his conversion story to the Catholic Church. Um, And this episode that I'm actually sharing is kind of a part of that. Because at the very beginning of the talk that I will share the link to, it's actually kind of a a little of a bit of an intro to his testimony of how he was really anti-Catholic. And then he came into the Catholic Church and uh, his his different... And he gives an awesome overview of Protestantism into the world. So I would highly recommend anybody going to listen to that full episode and there's specifically 37 minutes exactly if you want to go listen to it that um is precedes the what you're about to hear and this uh and what i'm sharing so if you want to go back start from the beginning go to 37 minutes and you'll hear essentially his entire talk but uh yeah, he was extreme before he became Catholic in the 1980s. And this talk is actually from 1991. So there's like references to Pope John Paul II and just different uh, um, things that were going on at that time in 1991 that he was talking about. But um, he became Catholic in the 1980s. And before that, he was a um, evangelical Protestant pastor that was very, very anti-Catholic. Like he actually gave tracts out to people that were Catholic in order to bring them out of the Catholic Church. He did, didn't care where they went after that, but just get them out of the Catholic Church. And he did that with a lot of people. Um, one of the only Catholics in his entire family, he said that uh, was his grandma. And when she died, he ripped apart her rosary and he like. He was so thankful that she wasn't tied down to this that that Catholic uh, thing anymore, you know. And uh, so he was not just evangelical Protestant pastor who had his own uh, ecclesial community and everything that he was leading, but he was very very anti-Catholic and never ever thought he was, he would become Catholic. But uh, he did, <laughs> and in the mid 1980s, and now he's a gift to the entire world because. God has used him so powerfully in, uh, in just speaking the truth of the church and apologetics of the Catholic Church. And he's brought so many people home, and uh, including a ton of big-name Protestant pastors that have left their ecclesial communities to come home to Jesus' church and the Catholic Church. Uh, and he is a, a Bible scholar, and he is, he's absolutely incredible. So I'll leave a link to the full episode that this is from um, in, his, in his podcast called Road to Emmaus. And then I'll also try to share a link as well to where you can find his books and articles and stuff like that. This guy's incredible. I highly recommend him to anybody and everybody. So I pray that you find this extremely fruitful and it's about the family of God, which is truly the masterwork of God and the per- the, the and the Catholic Church. Like when you come to us, realize that Jesus's will for us did not, he did not just become man 
for us to have a one-on-one relationship, just a me and Jesus two-step. He came to bring back the, the human race, to bring the family of God. So uh, when he instituted the covenant at the Last Supper, that, uh, man, that God and man would be reconciled and we would share in his divinity as he shared in our flesh, that, that union, that, that two becoming one uh, together with God and Jesus. He also um, brought us back as the family of God. So not just me and Jesus, but it's also me, God and all of my friends, family, and every single human being that we walked past that Jesus died for to bring into the family of God. So, uh, yeah, it just sheds so much light on to every single teaching of the Catholic faith. So I pray that this is uh, very fruitful and God bless. The central idea in Scripture, or at least a very central notion, throughout the Bible is the notion of covenant. Now, as a Protestant, as an evangelical, as a Bible Christian, I always understood covenant as a contract between God and me and between God and others. And through this covenant, this contract, I would accept Jesus as personal Lord and Savior and get his salvation, get his righteousness imputed to me. And in exchange, he would take my sin and be punished for it on the cross. It's a nice contractual exchange. I give him faith, he gives me salvation. Easy as that. Problem is, that's not what covenant means in scripture. The deeper I studied, the more I went, the more I discovered that covenant in ancient times, especially for the Hebrews, was not a contract. It was very different than a contract. In fact, after my research, I came to conclude that the difference between a contract and a covenant is as different as, 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 as great as the difference between prostitution and marriage, between slavery and sonship. A covenant is a sacred family bond. A covenant and the covenants throughout history, the covenants with Abraham and Moses and David and the new covenant that our Lord established are sacred family bonds whereby God fathers his family. Well, so what? Well, I would suggest to you that if you want to capture the central idea of Scripture that pulls together the entire Catholic faith, it's the family of God. The family of God is the master idea of the Catholic faith. Let me back that up. First of all, Catholics stress the Trinity much more than Bible Christians. We are constantly doing what? The sign of the cross, the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit renewing the baptismal sacrament that brought us into God's family. What does that tell us about God? That he is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God is family. Fatherhood and sonship are not terms drawn from human experience and then kind of thrown up into the Godhead to kind of domesticate the deity. God is the perfect Father. We're only imperfect copies. The second person, the Godhead, is the eternally perfect son. Sonship down here below is partial. It's temporary. Your fathers die. Your mothers die. But in God, fatherhood and sonship are perfect. Family bonds down here are a reflection of the family life, the family love, the communion that exists within God. From all eternity, God is not a solitary loner. God is an eternal family communion. 
Now this really came home to me one day when I was scheduled by my brother-in-law to debate out at Penn State a Muslim. We got together, this Muslim scholar and I, we were supposed to debate the Trinity before Penn State students, but we wanted to talk about strategy and logistics before we got together the big night, which was several weeks away. We sat down at a table and began to discuss matters, and we didn't get very far because I made a very fatal mistake. I mentioned, well, I'm going to be talking about how God the Father does, and he, I couldn't finish my sentence. He put his fist down, he said, do not refer to God as Father. Stopped, I looked, I said, uh, all right, I'll try not to, and I went on. Another minute, I said, well, we understand this in terms of how God the Father, and he stopped me, and he said, I said, I, I told you, do, I, please, please do not do this, we, we can't, he was really agitated, I, I we cannot talk if you insist on, on calling God Father. And I said, why not? Because Allah is not Father. Allah is Master. We are not sons. He has no sons. He needs no sons. We are slaves. We are servants. Okay, but what's wrong with calling him Father? It's blasphemous. Fathers are humans. Down here on earth we have fathers, but in Allah there's no fatherhood. That's unworthy. I said, no, wait a second. Is Allah wise? Yes, of course. Well, don't we have some wisdom? Yes. Is Allah powerful? Yes. Well, don't we have some power? Is, is, is Allah caring? Don't we sometimes care? Is Allah loving? Yes. Well, don't we sometimes love? And if if all of these things drawn from here below can be applied to Allah above without offense, why not say that he was wise and powerful and loving his father? He said, because he doesn't love like a father. I said, what do you mean? He said, I've got a dog in my apartment. I love my dog, but I have to move. I signed a lease for a new apartment. I plan to move in in just a few weeks. They allow no pets. My dog is my dog. I love my dog. It's nobody else's dog. I will kill my dog. I thought he was joking. And I muttered something like, with love like that, who needs hatred? <laughs> he wasn't amused, even mildly. The rest of the conversation went on, but I was just kind of half there. A couple hours later, it got so rough. I kept talking about how God the Father fathers the Son from all eternity and how God is family and that this provides us the vision of who we are as God's children. Well, I, I just couldn't get away with that. Finally, he pounded his fist, he stood straight up, and he stormed out, and he said, debate is canceled. I sat there with my brother-in-law, Bill, and we slowly got ourselves up, we walked out to the car, we stared at each other in the front seat. And all I, all I remember saying is kind of burning out the words, I don't think I ever really appreciated what it means to call God Father. Said, yeah, like our Father who art in heaven. Or I believe in God the Father Almighty. Or glory be to the Father and to the Son. All of a sudden it was like, wow! What we take for granted. God is our Father. We are His children. We make up His family. And I would suggest to you that is the master idea to all of the Catholic faith. It doesn't just explain the Trinity. It explains why we regard Mary the way we do. 
And let me tell you, if there's one thing about the Catholic faith that makes Bible Christians sicker than sick, it's Mary. There was nothing in Catholic religion as offensive to me as Mary. All of the other problems put together, multiplied by ten, didn't add up that my difficulties with Mary. I had solved 99 out of 100 problems through my own independent study and research in Scripture, in the patristic sources of the early church, in medieval writings, that I found kept agreeing with all my novel insights. I kept coming up with confirmation after confirmation, 99 out of 100 times, but Mary was at 100th. Finally, I began to break down. I said to, I said to the Lord one day, with a rosary somebody had sent me in the mail, I said, I, I, I don't understand this. And if this offends you, I apologize in advance. But you know, God, if the Catholic Church had been right 99 times out of 100, I think it's reasonable to give them the benefit of the doubt this 100th time. So please forgive me if this offends you, Jesus, but I only want to honor Mary as much as you do. And I prayed the rosary. And I offered up some hopelessly impossible intention, just as a little, <laughs> too bad if you're there and you're real. Pray the rosary another five or six days. Put it aside. Three months later, one afternoon, I noticed that this impossible situation had not only cleared up, but it had become an incredibly beneficial situation. All of a sudden, the scales fell from my eyes as I realized myself for the ingrate that I was for not recognizing it. I reached to the back of my, you know, my drawer, pulled out the rosary, said, sorry, up there. And I began praying it again. I never stopped. I prayed every day. I am convinced that the reason why so many Bible Christians can't understand Mary is because they think of their religion primarily, almost exclusively, in individualistic terms. It's me and Jesus, except Jesus as your personal Savior and Lord, all of which is true, but taken by itself, it's inadequate. What father wants you to isolate yourself with him and with his son and neglect the rest of his family? Or what father fathers several different families? What do you call a father like that? Where I come from, you call him a scoundrel. A man who fathers several different families. If God, the Father, is one, and he's omnipotent and all-powerful in his love, then he's able to father his family that way. And what family is there that has a father, you know what I'm going to say, but doesn't have a mother? If Jesus Christ has truly become through grace our brother, then what does that make the Blessed Virgin Mary? Spiritually, by grace, she has made our mother. And so we approach her with the love and the respect and the devotion that is proper to Mary. A friend of mine once asked me, he said, if you can show me anything in scripture that supports Mary, I'll consider all of this. I said, okay, I'll give you two points. First, you know the Ten Commandments, right? Honor your father and mother, the fourth commandment. And the Hebrew word kavodah for honor means to glorify, to bestow honor and glory. I said, now when Jesus accepted the call from his father to become a man, he accepted the responsibility to Obey that law perfectly. The law summed up in the Ten Commandments, didn't it? Well, of course. And he did fulfill that law perfectly. And in particular, that commandment. He honored his heavenly father perfectly. And he honored his mother more perfectly than any human in history. And I said, the second principle is this. We imitate Jesus. Not 
just in honoring our mothers, but in honoring those that he honors and blessing those that he blesses. She's not blessed for some biological reason just because her womb happened to be divinely selected by God. When God chose her, he chose all of her and he gave her all that she would need to do all that mothering entails. Is mothering just biological and physiological? Our culture might believe so, but we know deep down that mothering is spiritual. It's psychological. It's emotional. It's what it means to be human. Every aspect of the human nature is involved in mothering. And so, when Jesus created his mother, put it this way, if you could create your mother, how would you do it? In defilement and the stain of sin, or immaculate without original sin? Jesus creates one person who is called from the moment of her existence to be his mother. And the moment he creates her, he begins by honoring her. Well, if Mary's without sin, then she doesn't need a savior. No. The Catholic Church's teaching, understood within this family context, is that Jesus Christ has saved Mary from sin. Period. I mean, we're saved from sin. But I mean, she is saved from sin by virtue of Christ's creation and also his redemptive work going backwards as it were but not just Mary also the saints who are the saints in the Catholic Church there are older brothers and sisters the role models the examples the pace setters the ones who teach us practical ways to imitate Christ do they distract from Christ do we go to the saints because we can't go to Christ do we go to Mary because we can't go to Mary no of course not Jesus is our salvation. The Catholic Church believes that. Jesus Christ is the, is the master and the artist who has performed this perfect work of salvation. But suppose you had Van Gogh in a room, and on the walls were all his masterpieces. Suppose you walked into the room, and instead of looking at the paintings, you just stared at his face. Oh, wow, Van Gogh. What an ear. What a forehead. Oh, shoulders. Oh, you are Van Gogh. Would that make him happy? Obviously not. But if he went around looking at all the great paintings on the wall, would he feel slighted as though you were ignoring him? No. He would feel honored as you behold with wonder his masterpieces. When we look at the saints and venerate them, when we look at Mary and express devotion to her, all we're doing is is honoring the work of Christ. I do not know of a single Bible Christian who's heard of a Catholic who says that without responding with interest. Because they always assume that Mary and the saints detract from Christ's work. They denigrate the mediation and the ministry of Jesus. And I say no. They manifest the greatness of Jesus' work. So we have Mary and the saints, the Pope. Who is the Pope? Why do we call him Pope? It's Italian for what? Papa, Holy Father. He is the symbol, the icon, the image of the family's unity. He is the earthly father that God establishes to father his children on earth, his earthly family. You look down through the ages of salvation history, and God is always fathering his people through the covenants in the same way whether it's Moses or Joshua or David and Solomon and Rehoboam, there's an endless stream, an unbroken line of succession 
whereby God is raising up father figures to father his family on earth. When Christ comes and establishes the 12 apostles and establishes Peter as the prince of the apostles, and after all, today is the feast of the chair of St. Peter. We celebrate this day. Not that, that Peter finishes the incomplete work of Christ, as though Christ didn't tell us enough and so the popes have got to tell us the rest. We celebrate in Peter and his successors, the popes, the work of Christ. The family that Jesus Christ is building up for the Father. We look to the Pope and we hear the voice of our Father. Not because he is so impeccable or scholarly, but because Christ's love through the Holy Spirit is able to take a man who is fallible and communicate through him infallible truth. That's not possible, one guy said to me on the phone a week ago. And I said, well, wait a second. What about Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John? Were they fallible men? Do you believe that the Bible's full of errors? Bible Christians never do. Well, if the Holy Spirit could use fallible men back then to communicate infallible truth to God's children, why can't the Father do it today? Not only can he, but would he? There's a need not just to read the Bible, but to interpret it right. But how do you know you have? There are so many interpretations out there. And every time a new interpretation comes up, a new denomination forms. Is that the way a father would want to try to keep his family together? That's a blueprint for anarchy and chaos. So what God could do back then with Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, he can do today with John Paul II. Why would he do it? Because of his fatherly love for his children. That explains Mary. That explains the Pope. That explains the saints. It explains the Eucharist. When does a family really celebrate its life together? Not waking up in the morning, not in the middle of the day when they're all busy at work in their various spheres. It's when they come home to the supper table. What is the Eucharist? It's the Lord's Supper. It's the family meal. Christ is our true breadwinner. Only the bread that he's won is his own life. The bread of life that he dies and rises again to give us. And we gather as a family. That is not some quaint, sentimental mishmash. That is the spiritual reality of what we do in the Eucharistic liturgy. Of who we are as baptized children of God. Of what we live as we build families that are meant to reflect this sort of faithfulness and openness to life. If you want to understand all of the various teachings of the church regarding sexual morality and marriage and divorce and remarriage, you look and you see a family-centered morality. God the Father is too wise to allow junk to occur and to be taught. He knows what sexual infidelity does to marriage, what a bullet to the brain does to the body, adultery does to the marriage. And when the marriage goes, the children have a father figure who utterly distorts and perverts God the Father. I once worked in a ghetto ministry where the leader told us never refer to God as Father because out of the hundreds of kids who were involved in our ministry, two of them have their biological father living with them and their brother and sister. So don't refer to them, don't refer to, the, to God as Father to them because their view of Father is He's drunk, or he's violent, or he's gone. I said, boy, this is the last chance many of these kids will ever have to rehabilitate the image of fatherhood. 
We had a strike while the iron is at least a little bit hot. We're not altogether cold. The fact is that the church is teaching in the area of sexual morality and life ethics and abortion and euthanasia and so on says human life is precious not because it adds more to the productivity of the economy and the GNP, but because God the Father looks at each person and sees what? His precious child. When a parent looks at a child and is helpless, it stirs up within the heart of that parent greater compassion and sacrifice. If that's true for us, how much truer it would be for God the Father. The family of God is the master idea to the Catholic religion. Bible Christians don't hear that. They don't believe it. They don't recognize it. But whenever I present it, you know what happens? If they keep listening, they come closer and closer. Three of my former students cut me off when I joined the Catholic Church. One of them was as anti-Catholic as me or more. They had nothing to do with me. They called me up one day and I told them of my intentions. And the one guy said, well, just when you thought it was safe to call Scott again. And after a few seconds, they said goodbye. All three of them are being received in the Catholic Church this Easter. In four and a half years. Why? Because they didn't believe me at first that the family of God is the master idea of the religion that we profess. I showed them scripture. I showed them the writings of the popes. I showed them the writings of the saints. These guys who were known in their town, in their college, for being more anti-Catholic than the other have shocked an entire college and town by their intention to be received into the church this spring, this Easter. They're some of the sharpest students I've ever seen. Another student of mine, Margie, who was very anti-Catholic, is now finishing up her Ph.D. at the John Paul II Institute in Rome on the covenant as God's family. At least that's a topic she was researching for several years. This is not... My point here in conclusion is this. You don't need to be a scholar. You don't need, need to be a theologian. You don't need to get a PhD or a master's degree. God has given to each of us the raw materials to understand him and the church that we are part of by giving us a mother and by giving us a father and by giving us children and brothers and sisters. So we've got the raw materials, the natural resource to look around and recognize the supernatural resources we have in the spiritual family. Why do we call our priests fathers? If fathers in the natural realm are fathered through the nat by communicating natural life, then the priests, when they give us supernatural life, are truly fathers. More truly fathers than those who merely father in the natural level. If we can get this rooted in our hearts, if this can lead us to deeper prayer, if this will permeate our conversations and friendships, if this will affect the way we pray each day and the way we attend more diligently to the sacraments, especially the Eucharist and reconciliation, I got to tell you, the best is yet to come. Because we're going to be seeing in the years to come, I am convinced, a groundswell of conversions back into the Catholic faith consisting of hundreds and, Lord willing, thousands of people who thought they were anti-Catholic. They're not just going to be non-Christians. They're going to be Bible Christians, evangelicals, Pentecostals, and fundamentalists who all of a sudden wake up one day and through your friendship, through your prayers, through the books and the pamphlets that you share, through the daily respect that you earn by your hard work, 
and your good friendships and the way you struggle to raise a family in this world of ours, they're going to say, you know what? This really is a family affair. It's more than just finding a personal Lord and Savior and accepting him into my heart. As soon as I find my father, I find my family as well. That's become the experience of more and more people. And it's waiting for you to happen here, in this town, in this parish, in families represented this evening. I am convinced that it needs to happen. I'm convinced that you want it to happen. I'm convinced that it can happen. And I'm also convinced that the Lord is going to make it happen. It seems big, tall order. You know the old line, how do you eat an elephant? Small bites, many of them. We have an elephant to eat. We've got millions of runaways. We've got millions of prodigals who've left the church most of the time because they never really understood it. They saw it as legalistic. They saw it as superstitious. Or they just didn't really see it at all. They didn't really care at all. But i got to tell you, there is a deep need, a felt urging along within our hearts to find ourselves in family. Not just the temporary families here below, but the divine family that Christ has died to create in his own body and blood. Jesus only used the word covenant one time in the Gospels when he instituted the Eucharist. If a covenant is a sacred family bond, and if we share a family bond with those with whom we share flesh and blood, then what do you suppose the Eucharist is meant to do? Give to us new flesh and blood to bind us together into a new family, the family of God. Would you pray with me in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit? Amen. Father, there are so many people that we run into in our everyday life who are adhering to the Bible, they believe, but opposed to the church. Many reasons, Lord. Many excuses. Many bad experiences. Many misunderstandings. So much work to do. So little time. So little energy. So little desire. You look at all of them, Lord, as your children, those for whom Christ died to save. I pray right now that you would stir our hearts tonight and all day tomorrow to think about, to pray about, to talk about with others what we can do practically in our families, in our work, in our friendships, through our prayer, and through our involvement with the church to bring them back, to welcome them home, and in the meantime, to fall more and more in love with the family life that you've entrusted to us. How precious and holy it is, O oh Lord, forgive us for having taken it for granted for so long. We give you thanks, and we give you praise, and we pray the family prayer that Christ taught his brothers and sisters. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, and deliver us from you. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit.